Hey everyone, welcome to the Racing Writers Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Crandall. We've got part two with Davey Siegel this week, and we're going to talk all about producing NASCAR content from TikTok to podcast to SiriusXM, written content, interviews, making requests, and so much more. This is the second episode, as I said, of our conversation with Davey. Last week, we talked about how he got here, got to NASCAR, became a NASCAR fan, and some of his work with SiriusXM. So this week, it's all about bringing content to you, the race fan, and the way in which Davey goes about doing his job. We, of course, have bonded over podcasts, over writing stories, so we share some of what we go through in interviews, how we approach things, how we approach making requests, eye contact, little things like that, in just another entertaining and fun conversation with Davey. So I hope you enjoy it. This is part two with Davey Siegel on the Racing Writers Podcast. So SiriusXM, FrontStretch.com, doing some things with NASCAR.com. All of that is great, but let's be honest. I mean, you're a TikTok guy. You have become TikTok guy. You've become the video guy. And by the way, when you Google your name, that's one of the first things that comes up. Oh, yay. (laughs) Wonderful news. I'm sure mom's proud. So I'm assuming you didn't know that. I know that when you Google my name, like my Twitter comes up and like maybe my Instagram or whatever, but I don't know. I guess when you're TikTok famous and I put the famous in quotation marks because it's not actually fame, I guess that's what it'll get you. So, hey, I don't know. Take the wins when you get them, I guess. Right. I don't know if it's fame, but it's something like I said, it's it's become your thing. It sure is something. We can agree on that. It is something. (laughs) It sure is something. All right. How did this happen? I need to know the very first one. How did this come into your head? Why did this come into your head? And how has it just, again, become such a thing? I stole the idea. Pretty simple. There's this woman named Annie Agar who did similar reenactments. You know who she is, right? She did similar reenactments and does them for college football, NFL. She did them during COVID. And literally like, a week before the Daytona 500 in 2020, when Michael McDowell won. 2020, right? 2021? I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, I don't know. Anyways, the week before Michael McDowell won the Daytona 500, uh, that was 2021. I'm tripping. 2021, yeah. Yeah. Time is a flat circle. Uh, but the earth is round. Sorry, Kyrie. I digress. So the week before the 500, I was like, you know what? Maybe I could try something like that. I mean... I don't know. I feel like I could put a different spin on it, maybe give my own little sense of humor, keep it lighthearted, imitate the drivers. Maybe I'll try it out. I don't know. So I went to the 500, covered it. And then on the plane ride back, I was like, should I do this thing? I don't know. I don't even want to download TikTok because I'm going to get addicted to it like I was with Vine. And then I'm just going to aimlessly scroll and it's going to be a cesspool. I don't want to download it. So like, I might just even make a video and put it on Twitter and called a day, like three people might think it's funny. That's it. So I took notes and I kind of wrote out a rough script on that plane flight. And I got home and I set up my tripod. I was like, Oh, what am I going to do with my hands? I feel like Ricky Bobby. I don't know what I'm doing with my hands. And I was like, Oh, I have this wheel for when I was playing Mario Kart and NASCAR Kart on my Wii. So I found that wheel, got it. That's the wheel I still use. Um, and then I just basically color coordinated my script with the drivers and the paint schemes that they had. I found these transparent PNG image files of their numbers that I could overlay. 
Um, I found glasses to imitate Joey. I think I started the glasses with Joey, like right at the start. I don't even remember, but it was, it wasn't even like a planned thing. It was like, maybe I'll just do this. Okay. Let me do this. I did it. And apparently people enjoyed it and thought it was funny. And it's kind of like, I mean, you probably listened back to your old shows, Kelly, and you're like, Oh my God, that was terrible. Why did I ask that question? Why do I have no energy? This is awful. I want this scrub from the internet immediately. I went back like a couple months ago and watched the first ever one I did. I was so, I had such low energy. The acting was awful. Still is by the way, but seeing how I've been able to like transfer different things and perfect my Australian accent for James small and my Afric for Joey over the last like year or two, that's been fun. So to answer your question, I stole the idea. I DM'd Annie Agar to let her know. I was like, Hey, big fan of your work. Just want to let you know. I'm stealing your idea. I, I straight up was like in her DMs, like, I'm stealing your idea. Please don't get offended. I want you to consider it a form of admiration. I'm doing it for NASCAR. It's not going to be as big as yours. Trust me, it's going to suck. But I want to give you a heads up. She didn't respond, obviously. But I, I felt good like letting her know because I didn't want to steal her idea, you know, and just pawn it off as my own. And from there, it kind of just kept rolling and some drivers were interacting and they liked it. And Next thing I knew, I was at the track and fans were stopping me. They're like, are you that TikTok guy? And I was like, there's no, there's, are you kidding? There's no way that you're asking me that. Yeah, can I get a selfie? I'm like, what? Parker Kligerman's walking right behind me. He's a driver. Like, talk to him. Uh, so it kind of just blossomed from there. And I'm, I still am like really shocked at how many people enjoy them. And I don't know. I'm going to keep doing them as long as people enjoy them and get a kick out of them. My goal is just to make people laugh. And it seems like I do a good job of that. So as long as that's the case, I'll keep doing them. Well, you have the receipt if she ever does finally see it. And yes. has you. so you have the receipt there. You and you also recognize the fact that you're taking risks here by trying to, quote unquote, imitate drivers. Or sometimes, even if you don't want to say it's imitation, I mean, flat out, just let's be honest, just making fun of what is happening. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you understand the risks there because these are people that you're not just watching on television. It's not like you're doing this for something that you have no vested interest in. You are doing this with people you have to work with. Right. And it's not like, you know, I'm not like Bob Pockers and everybody knows Bob and they love Bob and they know that Bob would never be out to get somebody. And, you know, like these people that have been covering NASCAR for decades, that have relationships with all these drivers, new, young, and old, you know, they know that they wouldn't do anything crazy or wild, but I mean, who are they to trust me? I'm just some like guy who's been around for a few years. So for the most part, you know, 99% of the time, any drivers that I've talked to that see me, they're like, Oh, do you do those TikToks? I'm like, yeah. They're like, Oh, I love them. I'm like, okay, cool. Thank God. Uh, there's one time that there was one driver who was very displeased uh, with how I portrayed them. And they made that known. I think we have since reconciled that. And um, I understand their perspective. They understand mine. We're all good there. But for the most part, all the drivers get a kick out of them. The one that I was kind of nervous about was Joey, because working on TMD, he comes on behind the wheel a couple weeks, and he's on the show for an entire hour. And he's on the Zoom call with us too. So he sees me, I see him, but we've never like, interacted and addressed the elephant in the room. I even saw him in person at Watkins Glen one time during a rain delay. And he was talking to some people and I was going to address it there, but he was talking to sponsors and I kind of chickened out. I ended up having him on my podcast 
recently, and I was planning on addressing it. I was, swear to God. And when he signed on, it says, you know, Joey Logano connecting to audio. And I was like, hey, Joey, how's it going? And right at the gate, he goes, oh, it's the guy that makes fun of me all the time. <laughs> and I was like, okay, we're doing it. <laughs> and then before we started recording, I was like, I was going to bring it up. But since you brought it up, I'm definitely bringing it up later. He's like, where's your wheel? Where's your glasses? I was like, I'll go get them. He's like, okay. So I went and I got him in the other room. And towards the end of the interview, we talked about it. And he said that he watches them. He says that I do a really good impersonation of him. And before I was talking to his spotter, also his best man at his wedding, Coleman Presley. And I asked him, cause I was high key nervous. I was like, Hey, um, does Joey know about this? And he was like, Oh yeah. I send him to him all the time. I was like, really do you? He's like, Oh yeah. He loves him. I was like, does he actually though? Cause I'm really, really making fun of him. Like not in a positive way. Most of the time either. He was like, trust me, he's cool about it. And he was very, very cool about it. So that says a lot to Joey. So for the most part, yes, the drivers are cool about it. And the fact that people kind of know me as the TikTok guy, I don't know whether to take that as a compliment or not, but it is certainly a development, Kelly. Let's leave it at that. I will message you after this because I need to know the driver that was not happy because I'm just nosy like that. So I need to know. But yeah, I again, I love the fact that you understand the risks are there. And now it's becoming a thing where, again, the garage knows about this. (laughs) Which is weird. (laughs) But hey, I mean, it's kind of interesting, too. Like when you're walking around the garage, like, you know, this weekend in Atlanta, Garrett Smithley had an incident on the racetrack, collected a couple of drivers. He was one of the early adopters. I guess you could say, you know, like he was texting me like, dude, these are phenomenal. Keep them up. And I always joke with him. I'm like, hey, just don't do anything stupid. You won't be in them. And, you know, he commented on this one this week. He's just like, oof. But I know that he gets it. So Todd Gillen's another one. You know, I have a good relationship with him going back to Canaan West. And after the Dover race got rained out, we were eating at the same Mexican restaurant. And um, he said hi to me. He's like, hey, what do I got to do to be in your TikTok? I was like, mess up. So you shouldn't want to be in it. And I also talked to him and Harrison Burton at the clash about that. And Todd, I think, wrecked in his heat race. And when I posted that week's video, he texted me a screenshot of me acting like him crashing into my wall, being the wall. And he goes, you warned me. I was like, yeah, I did. (laughs) Is there a reason that the one from Indy is pinned on your Twitter profile? Uh, Because that was the one I think at that point, that was the one that kind of blew up the most on Twitter, at least. I don't know why. Maybe it's just because AJ is a lightning bolt and Chris Rice wanted to kiss him or something. That's the only reason. I could probably change that, honestly. But I think on Twitter, that that one blew up a lot. The one that I was really surprised about on TikTok itself, because I did relent and download the app, was my Formula One Abu Dhabi recap when Max and Lewis and Michael Massey had that fiasco, shall we say. I mean, that one's almost at like 450,000 views, which is insane. Cause like my weekly ones get anywhere in the neighborhood from, you know, 10 to 15, maybe even 20 on a good day. And that one blew up and I broke out all the accents and impressions for that one. So I'm glad that that one got the recognition. (laughs) Uh, Let's shift to the podcast. You mentioned that you started doing it in college. I'm assuming it was the same one victory lane podcast. Obviously we've talked about it before. Big fan, listen to it. We talk about it all the time. Why did you want to start a podcast? I've told you before I started mine because I was a fan of podcasts. So when you finally sat down and created one, 
what were your earliest thoughts of how you wanted to do it, the format, why you wanted to do it? And again, you started it when you were in college. So did you have the confidence that you'd be able to get guests or has the show evolved over time? The show has definitely evolved over time. I, I started it because somebody suggested it to me at the radio station. They're like, hey, you know, if you like NASCAR so much, why don't you start a show about it? I was like, I can't do that. They're like, yeah, you can. I was like, okay. So I did. And at the start, it was essentially just me blabbering on as a 18 year old kid, monotone, terrible on air, uh, talking about whatever I felt like. And then, you know, as I went to the racetrack, I started conducting some interviews. I put some of those interviews into the podcast feed. And then I was able to get more comfortable in my own skin. And once I graduated, the radio station uh, stopped NASCAR coverage because I was kind of all I had. So when I graduated, I kind of revamped Victory Lane into its new iteration. I call it Victory Lane 2.0, and the college version was 1.0. And the show itself has kind of morphed. You know, at the start, it was essentially just, I'll just talk about the race. But that's a real original, Davey. Nice job. And then it became, all right, I'll include some interviews and talk about the race, which I kind of still do now. And, you know, now it's morphed into, honestly, a bit of a hybrid between analysis, some different segments here and there. Like I have my dad do a way back segment every week where he just like pays homage to whatever number that is. And it's a way to kind of keep him involved in it because he's the one that got me into the sport in the first place. He's a loyal listener. He's an OG. But honestly, I mean, not again, not to blow smoke up, up your, you know what, but like I modeled my format after yours a little bit in terms of the longer form interviews with one subject, diving deep into their background, what makes them tick, telling their story, things like that. Because again, all the way from Ryan Ellis up until 230 or 40, whatever you're at now, that's kind of been your format with the Racing Writers Podcast is kind of telling the story of an individual. There's some extenuating circumstances here and there, obviously, but that's what I've kind of morphed my show into as well. You know, I try to give some point of analysis of the race that's coming up, the race that we're previewing, but I've realized that the NASCAR podcast space is really, really crowded for whatever reason. And there's a lot of ways that fans can get their information, be it live on Sirius or other podcasts or television programs that they don't really need to and probably don't want to come to somebody like me for analysis on a race when they've already been having it shoved down their throats from written mediums, audio and television. So I've kind of focused it more towards long form interviews, which are difficult in one sense, because you got to do all this research and go all the way back and have your subject become comfortable with you, which is easier said than done some of the times. But some of the times I've been really surprised that some guests that I've had, and I know listening to your show, I'm sure you have too, that have opened up about some things that are not easy to open up about. And that's been really rewarding for me. You know, one that comes to mind is when I had Chris Lambert on my show, who's Denny Hamlin's spotter, and his story goes back to losing some family members in a really, really tragic way. And I was nervous leading up to that interview because I wanted to talk about it. You couldn't not talk about it. I wanted to do my due diligence and have him tell his story in the way that he saw fit. And he was so open and forthcoming with his story and the details and the ups and the downs and how we got through that. And when I kind of left that episode and I closed the Zoom meeting, I took a deep breath and I was like, that's really cool. That's why I do this stuff because, you know, I read the story about what he went through and I've heard him talk about it a little bit, but 
having him trust me to talk about it with me, he doesn't know who's listening. He doesn't know, you know, who I am from Adam. Right. But throughout that conversation, which lasted over an hour, he was able to gain some trust with me to be able to tell his story. And that's what I kind of hope to accomplish with the show now is just telling people's stories individually, be it on the driver's side or on the crew chief side or on the media side or anything in between. And as you know, since we cross over guests a bunch, I use some of your shows to prep for my material. I'm sure you do the same with me. So we work hand in hand with that. But it's at the end of the day, it's just all about kind of telling individual people's stories in individual specific ways tailored to them. And that's kind of what my podcast has become over the last two, three years in the 2.0 iteration as the 1.0 iteration is now absolutely dead and scrubbed from the internet, which is sad. For listeners, I swear, this is not meant to be a love fest between the two of us. We're just kindred spirits here of, of, <laughs> of, 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 of racing and podcast. So that's why we keep paying each other compliments. I have not paid Davey to be as complimentary as he is of me. Of yet. 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 I will Venmo you later, Davey. Got you. So that's the format. That's the genesis behind it. You talked about your interviews there. Because again, we do the same thing here. You want to longer interviews, really get to know people. But those conversations, what are you trying to get out of those conversations, if that makes sense, right? Like, obviously, you want it to be a long form conversation, you want to do your research. But when you go into it, what's your approach? What are you trying to get out of those conversations? Answers that they have never given before. Because there's a lot of people that get interviewed all the time. And a lot of it is, oh, how's the car? What do you think about this weekend? How's the season going? You know, and I understand you got to ask those questions and they're very gracious with their answers, especially, you know, if you're going on a media tour and you're answering the same five questions back to 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 back. But I try to in instances like that, you know, when I know that people are on media tours, I try to switch it up. But even when, you know, there's individual people that I know maybe are not used to being interviewed or don't do a ton of interviewing and their story may not be out there fully. That's why I try to dig deep because, you know, I'm sure that they can talk all day about, you know, racing and how they got into the sport and why they love it and how the season's going X, Y, and Z. But I like getting into the nitty gritty stuff outside of racing and how that stuff that's outside of the realm relates to motorsports. You know, I mean, you can find this stuff if you dig deep enough and not all of it's on the internet. That's why you got to have these relationships and these sources to dig deep right? You got to know the driver's partners. You got to know the driver's families. You got to know the driver's business partners. So then you can be like, hey, don't let this person know, but I'm trying to get him or her on this specific thing. What can you give me that's a little spicy nugget of information that they would be a bit surprised about? I always love when I'm having a conversation with somebody and they take a step back and they go, oh, wow, how'd you find that out? That's my favorite, right? And I remember I was doing one interview with Martin Truex Jr. on camera, actually, for NBC Sports Washington. That was kind of like one of my first big interviews. And um, I asked him a question about his brother, Ryan Truex, I think. And he took a step back. He goes, wow, how'd you know that? And we were like live on camera. And I was like, I do my research. You know what I mean? So I find joy in, in doing that research and diving deep into the subject. And then, you know, you can throw out one little nugget. And then they'll take it in a direction that you didn't even know existed. And then you'll obviously build off of their answers and, and, you know, figure out different things that you did not even know this person had on their radar. So I love having answers from people that I have never heard them give 
And it's even better if they tell me after the fact, you know, hey, I've never been asked that question, or I, I don't know if I've ever talked about this, or that was a good question, you know, because I want to make them feel comfortable, but I also want to make it known that while you have to ask the simple questions that everybody knows the answer to, but you need to hear from them anyway, I think you get the best stuff out of a lot of different people when you throw them something completely off the wall. And I found in my experiences, which is very limited, albeit that, you know, they get enjoyment out of that, as do I, as do listeners. This question's very much podcast or podcast, or even just interviewer to interviewer of anything. But as we're talking about the podcast, your approach to eye contact, especially when it's on Zoom like this, because I am always aware of like, I don't want to feel like I'm just sitting here staring awkwardly at a screen and not right looking away or like, I don't, so when you do yours, how do you approach just not being weird about eye contact? It's hard because like I have this camera attachment that's on my laptop, but it's like higher than the actual computer, but I need to look at the computer to look at my outline and then to also look at you and then to make sure that I'm not like blurry or anything. So there's just a lot of movement going on, right? Eye contact's important in communication, right? That's obviously a given, but you don't want to be a serial killer and just stare into their souls with lasers like this. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I've honestly actively ever thought about how I go about eye contact with the subject. I mean, I, I just looked around like blatantly right there without even thinking about it. You know, I look at my outline when I'm trying to figure out what question I want to ask next, or, you know, if they're giving an answer that I didn't expect, you know, obviously facial expressions are a big thing. I think that, you know, Zoom has been a great tool to use for interviewing because, you know, on Sirius, we do a lot of interviews on the phone, which works great. But in-person interviews is top of the line, right? That's when you get your best stuff. It's person-to-person interaction. I feel like Zoom is almost the next best thing that you can potentially do because that way you're able to actually see the person or the subject that you're interacting with. You can see their facial expressions. You can see if they're distracted. You can see if they're looking at their phone, if they need to go, if, if something's going on outside. You know what I mean? So that's kind of how I approach it. I just, I don't have any rhyme or reason to it. I kind of been just a jumbled mess over here with looking at my outline, scrolling, making sure my camera's not blurry, making sure my computer's not dying, making sure my headphones don't die, which they did during this conversation. So it's a big old mess over here, but we get through it. And we always keep it with the eye contact because that's important. You say it's a big old mess, but one of the things that I respect about your show that, again, I've tried to bring to mind and try to be more aware of is you seem very, very comfortable in your interviews. You're very relaxed. You're very clean with your conversation and your questions. Is that something that has come natural to you or how much have you thought about that and consciously tried to work on throughout the years? Well, first of all, thank you. You don't have to Venmo me because I would just Venmo you that right back for that compliment. It kind of goes back to listening to all the different shows and watching the different programs you know, my girlfriend, she teases me because it's like, aren't you listening to the same thing? And I say, yes, but given what I'm doing and all the stuff that I have to learn, I want to see how Doug Rice does it. I want to see how Kelly Crandall does it. I want to see how Bob Pockers does it. I want to see how Josh Sims or Caitlin Vincy does it. You know what I mean? There's all these different people that I really admire in the NASCAR media core that have different ways of asking questions, different ways of formulating conversation, different ways of introing and outroing to segments. And this is very in the weeds right now. And I understand that, but 
a big reason why I listen to all the things that I do and watch all the things that I do is because I think it makes me better because I'm able to absorb information from, again, people that are in positions that I would eventually one day like to potentially be in and see, okay, on TV, it's done this way. So you have to approach it this way. Radio is different because you don't have to worry about necessarily looking a certain direction. So there's a bunch of different ways that I, I try to go about that. I'm a neat freak. So I keep my outlines pretty organized in terms of what I highlight, where I highlight them, how they're spaced out, like where the lines go and all that type of thing. Um, I think honestly, when it comes down to it, I've just gotten better with time. I think in terms of formulating my questions, I still have a lot to get better at. I'm really bad about like asking a question and then explaining what I think their answer is going to be for like a minute straight. And then they'd be like, yeah, you pretty much said it, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, no, I said it, damn it. Like, I got to get better at that. But I thank you for saying that because that's something that I've actually and actively worked on over the last few years and still I'm actively working on because you don't necessarily want to model yourself after one specific person. You want to be your own person, your own interviewer, your own self. But at the same time, I think, you know, taking different qualities that you find redeeming from other individuals that you try to emulate and trying to make that you know, formed into the best version of yourself that you can, I think that's important. And that's what I've done and, and will continue to do in terms of how I kind of ask my questions and, and formulate them. Well, I'm a work in progress in that regard. Uh, and people who follow me on Patreon know that my notes are nowhere near as organized as you just said yours are. So my Patreon- It works. Yeah, it's what, exactly. It's whatever works. Yeah. At what point, Davey, did you start getting comfortable in your own skin in feeling like, okay, I've established this show, I've established my reputation that I'm pretty confident I can start getting guests. I'm pretty confident I can start getting drivers, big name drivers, crew or whoever it is, because that's got to come over time, right? I don't, I don't think anybody ever starts something and says, well, I'm going to go make a request and I'm going to get what I want to get. I think that probably started for me when I got to the racetrack a little bit more and people were seeing who I was, they were seeing my face and they were, you know, hearing my voice and they're like, Oh, I talked to you on the phone the other day. Didn't I? Or, Oh, like we, we did a podcast together. I'm like, yeah, that's me. I'm real, real person. Here I am. Because it's one thing to just kind of be a 100% remote worker and try to be a media member. And it's hard because, you know, person to person interaction is really vital to this business and this industry. I think that probably turned the corner when I was able to go to the racetrack more. I was able to conduct some in-person interviews. I was able to just strike up casual conversations with industry members, drivers, crew chiefs, pit crew members, other people. And, you know, we learned a little bit about each other. They understood who I was, what I was doing. And I understood that, you know, they now knew who I was and I felt comfortable going to their PR representative or going to them and asking them if they felt comfortable doing an interview with me. So. It was a gradual process for sure. But I think that, again, kind of like shedding the fandom going back, that was kind of a gradual process as well. It wasn't like a snap of the fingers. I'm ready. I'm confident. I'm willing to do Let's go. You know what I mean? It was kind of a gradual process in terms of, okay, I feel a little bit more comfortable. I think this person could trust me and will give me, you know, 10 to 15 minutes of their time. So let's go. Let's send it. Why not? One of the important things in our jobs, obviously, is just approaching people. That's the where you got to start, right? Whether it's at the racetrack for interviews, whether it's uh, through emails for interviews or whether it's for the podcast, how are you about just the confidence to go about approaching people, whether it's walking up to people at the racetrack 
again, in the garage or certainly post-race having to go get yourself in the middle of something or sending out those requests for the podcast? I've gotten better at it. I think, you know, the more and more I do it, the more and more I realize that they know we have a job to do. And, you know, at the start of it, it wasn't a job for me. It was a hobby. It was something that was a passion project. It was something that, you know, may eventually turn into something that may be reminiscent of an occupation. But at that point, it was kind of just, oh, yeah, it'd be cool if I could talk to so-and-so for five minutes or 10 minutes or, oh, yeah, I mean, whatever, you know, these people are doing their job. I don't need to get my little phone in there and and get audio. I don't even know if I'm going to use it, you know. But once it started becoming more of a job and once I realized that I wanted to make it more of a job, I felt a little bit more comfortable kind of asserting myself and saying, you know, hey, I know it's a big ask, but if this person has five or 10 minutes, you know, I would love to just chat with them or even just going up to, to people and off the record, just striking up conversations saying, hey, I don't think we've met, you know, nice to meet you. This is who I am. This is what I'm doing. You might see me around a little bit more. I did that a lot when I was covering the k circuit um, because I, I knew little to nothing about short track racing. Because again, growing up in DC, there's not any short tracks around. Like I didn't grow up going to short tracks on a Saturday. And I grew up going to Dover on Sundays. That was my version of short track racing and growing up. So I had to lean on people for information to learn about how short track racing works and how the KM Pro Series works. And then, you know, moving up to covering more national series events. And as those drivers and those team members kind of moved up with me, I was able to lean on them. And, you know, they trusted me that I was going to keep what's off the record off the record. And, you know, if they needed to get something out, they were willing to go to me and say, hey, you know, can you help me figure this out? Or would you be willing to do an interview about this? And, you know, you just work with people. It goes back to the relationships aspect. And the sport is all about people, as cliche as that is. I really think that that's the case. So I, I'm still learning that as well, too. I mean, I'd, I'd be lying if I said I felt, you know, 100% comfortable, you know, going up to, I'm going to use a random example, Denny Hamlin and being like, Yo, Denny, how you been, man? You know, like, let's get you on my show. Like, that's not going to happen, right? He's, he's a bit of a busy guy. But, you know, I would like to think that drivers know that people like us have a job to do. They're understanding of that and very respectful of that. And even in the worst of times when, you know, they don't want to talk and Kyle Bush is just there so he doesn't get fined, he understands that he's there so he doesn't get fined and he has to do it. And we have to ask the questions he doesn't want to answer. So, before I was kind of timid and shy about that type of thing. And I just didn't want to be in the way, but you know, getting in the way is your job sometimes. So you got to do what you got to do. I apologize for looking around and over my shoulder, but we have yet another storm moving in. So it's uh, I contact Kelly. I contact, you know, I'm just waiting for like the big boom of thunder. And then you're going to see me jump <laughs> 17 feet in the air because I'm not expecting it. So you use the phrase multimedia journalist, which is what I was going to describe you as anyway, while putting this show together, because it seems like to me, Davey, that you have never wanted to put yourself in a position to just do one thing. You seem comfortable always looking for how can I put myself out there? What can I do? Where's the content at? Is that accurate to say that you don't want to be kind of pigeonholed into one area? Yes, very accurate. Again, going back to school, somebody brought that term up to me and they say, you know, the way the industry is going, you should kind of try to brand yourself as multimedia because you're doing multiple forms of media. 
easy enough to understand, right? I was writing, I was doing radio, doing television, doing social media, production, editing, all these different things, right? These are all different forms of media. These are multiple forms of media. So yes, you're exactly correct. Um, my professors have told me that. People that, you know, I really respect their opinions in the industry have mentioned that to me when I lean on them for advice in terms of, you know, not pigeonholing yourself. It's not a bad thing to be really good at one specific thing, but from what I've learned and been told, it seems like you're better off. And I guess my experiences have kind of bared that out. You're better off if you're really good at a lot of things instead of being really good at just one thing. And I'm by no means saying I'm really good at a lot of things, but I can do a lot of things well, I think, when it comes to the production side and running the radio show at Sirius and editing my own podcasts and prepping for the interviews and conducting the interviews and writing articles, which I really need to get start doing again because I feel like I'm rusty and appearing on camera and how that works compared to a Zoom call that may not be necessarily distributed and disseminated versus something that is strictly on camera. So it's a bunch of different skills to exhibit as a quote unquote multimedia journalist. Um, and that can be kind of looked at in a bunch of different ways. I mean, I have a ton of friends, I'm sure you do too, that are MMJs that work for local television stations that go out on site, shoot their own stuff, edit it, report on it, appear on camera for it. I have an incredible amount of respect for people that do that. Because, you know, in school, everybody's like, well, if you want to be on camera, that's the right. You got to go. You got to be an MMJ. You got to move to bum, you know what, Wyoming or Nebraska for two years and do your own thing. And then maybe you'll move to you know, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And then maybe, maybe you'll get to where you want to go. That just didn't appeal to me. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to do something my own way. Now, the, I have a lot of friends that do that. And I always check in with them and, and try to support their work because it is so hard. And it's so impressive to me how they're able to do that stuff. And one thing that I was told early on too, is there's no one path to get to where you want to go. You know what I mean? There's MMJs that grind and absolutely cut their teeth doing that work for 20 years to get a shot of appearing on ESPN, Fox Sports, NBC. And then there's people like Ryan McGee, who was a production assistant at ESPN and wound up putting himself in great spots and doing great work and developing good relationships. And look at him now. He's Mighty McGee. So there's different ways to go about getting to where you want to go. I have realized that. Um, I'm still like trying to work through that, right? Because I see I'm really bad at comparing myself to people too. And I'm saying, well, well, this person's doing this, that person's doing that. And, you know, if, am I falling behind? I don't know. It's so hard to not compare yourself to people because it's human nature. And I know you do the same thing too, because we talked about that. But, you know, I've tried to, you know, not pigeonhole myself and be able to do a bunch of different things because if an opportunity would present itself, like it has with Sirius to be an associate producer while also being a host, while also working on social media, while also appearing on camera, I can do those things. And I think that I can bring value to different people and different companies doing those different things. So I'm, I'm happy to be doing it with Sirius right now because I can strictly call myself a multimedia journalist because I'm doing multiple forms of media all at the same time. We started our conversation talking about Sirius and you being based or the show, the studio being based in Washington, D.C. If I have my research correct, aren't you originally from the Maryland area? So you really haven't left. I mean, you're still there and you've made it work and found something that's close to home. 
Yes, that is correct. Um, grew up in Rockville, which is a town like 30 minutes or so without traffic, knock on wood, outside of the, the city here. And I've been living in the city proper for a couple of years now. But yeah, DC has always been my home. It's always been my backyard. Um, I still kind of am of the mindset of eventually I will have to slash want to move to Charlotte. Like I'm, I'm ready for it if, if the opportunity presents itself, because I'd love to get to the racetrack more and and do different things, but you know, that will come if, and when it comes, but yeah, I've been in DC my entire life, Maryland slash DC, the DMV, as we call it, you know, that's my home DMV stand up. Love it. <laughs> as we start to wind down, I have to go through some very specific things I came across on your website, which oh boy, I respect and appreciate the fact that you have a website. I have not updated that website in a while and I need to do that, but but some of, if not most of those things are still truthful. I think I know where you're going. Right. And that's what I need to know because I did notice it hasn't been updated in a couple of years. And again, I respect the fact that you have a website. I would like a website. So maybe that I'm putting this on the podcast, a certain someone that lives with me, hint, hint, nudge, nudge, will <laughs> create a website for me. Uh, because Get on that, it, Yeah, that is what he, he does on a daily basis. So- we need to go through some of these things, Davey, because they are very specific facts that you put out there for the world. Okay. Uh, the first one is that you did not eat a salad for the first time until May of 2018. Yes. I was in Paris actually on a sports journalism abbreviated study abroad program. We were at an all you can eat steak place, which by the way, was not all you can eat steak. I was very disappointed but they brought this mini salad with like three or four pieces of lettuce. It's like very small, like some dressing and some nuts on it. And usually whenever like a salad comes to me, I just hand it off to somebody like, that's just what I did. Right. So it came to me and I'm looking at it and I'm like, should I do it? And my friends were like, what are you doing? And I was like, I think I might, I think I might try this. No, you're not. You're, you're not doing this. I think I might do this. We can't, you can't do it right now. Everybody at home's asleep. Your parents are asleep. We got to face up. We got to call him. Call his parents. So it was this whole thing. And I tried it and I was like, that wasn't, that wasn't too bad. All right. I'll, I'll give the salad thing a shot. So then I came home and I told everybody that I tried a salad and I like documented it on Snapchat and everybody was going absolutely bonkers. I got like 25 replies to a Snapchat story, which back then was wild. And, uh, I don't, I wouldn't go so far to say as I love salad, but if you put salad in front of me, I will eat it and probably enjoy it now. Whereas for 20 plus years of my life, wasn't having it. All right. All right. Very interesting. What about mm -hmm. having uh, an unnatural ability to recall SpongeBob and Drake and Josh quotes? Because those are interesting shows right there. Well, the two best shows in the history of television right there. I mean, come on. I was quoting SpongeBob with Sammy Agee, our producer for TMD this morning. And Drake and Josh is just an incredible show. So yeah, I can recall episodes and quotes at a moment's notice. I'm a SpongeBob, Drake and Josh enthusiast, and I don't care who knows it. Once again, we all have our own things. I respect the fact that you are putting this out there into the world. Have you <laughs> been to a concert yet? Yes. I went to a reggae concert around a few, a few months ago, I think. Um, so that was my first concert. And everybody's like, well, you've seen people perform at races and games before, right? And I said, yes, but I don't consider that a concert because in my mind, my definition of a concert 
is going to an event for the sole purpose of listening to live music. Now, Kid Rock, Jason Aldean, all these awesome performers that we've had at races before, those are pre-race concerts. The race is the event you are going there for, unless you go there for the pre-race concert, which is a whole other conversation. I've seen many people perform live, but I have only been to one concert in my life. I've, I've bought tickets to go to other ones, but they have fallen through for various reasons. I had tickets to see Drake and Migos, I think, when they came to DC. Then I had to go somewhere. I think I had to go to Vegas for a race. So I would like to go to another concert at some point soon. I think maybe that'll be in the card soon. I don't know. But yes, since, since that website was posted, I have indeed been to a concert. All right. We're making progress. One last one on this is, uh, <sighs> I love me some tacos. Uh-huh. Uh, you are a proclaimed taco eating contest champion. Not proclaimed. It's confirmed. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, how is it confirmed? Tell me about this. There's got to be a story there. Oh, there's a story. All right. So again, one of the reasons I went to MSU is because of the big time athletics that they had. So I was a section leader for the Michigan State men's basketball team for a couple of years. So what that means is essentially just like in each little pocket of the lower bowl of the student section, you have a section leader who gets the crowd riled up, you know, tells them when to shut up, tells them when to get really loud. And you have to go there early to set up and put down all the props that we use for the pregame rituals, stuff like that. So since I was there early, you know, they pick out people to do halftime competitions. So like also on the website, two time and undefeated Simon says champion, don't get at me because you can't beat me. It's just a fact. So like I did Simon says at half court, I don't know if I did anything else, but I did do the taco eating contest. Right. So, you know, they put a bunch of mini tacos in front of me and three or four other people. And they just tell you to go. Right. So I channel my inner Joey chestnut. I'm shoving them in and I hear through the loudspeaker, this is at half court of the game, like in a packed 18,000 seat Breslin Student Event Center. So I hear 30 seconds left. The leader is so-and-so with 16, Davey close behind. So I'm like, all right, got to send it. So I shoveled in like eight mini tacos, like in my mouth. And I didn't swallow like any of them because I'm just shoveling them in. And then I hear the winner with 21 is Davey. And my friends are looking at me. They're like, let's go. Yeah. Everybody's chanting my name. They're so happy. And I realized that my airway is constricted. So I say, all right, one of two things is going to happen here. I'm either going to vomit in front of 18,000 people or I'm going to choke to death. I chose option A. So I started kind of like, you know, you could tell something was going on. This guy taps me on the hip puts a trash can next to me, goes, there's a trash can for you. So as they say, the winner with 21 is Davey. I put my head in the trash can. I did not vomit. I just spit out what was constricting my airway, but heard an audible, oh, from 18,000 people as I did that. But I still won. And my prize was a free platter of tacos from this bar called Fieldhouse every single week for one year. But... Since I was gone so much and working so much, my friends still give me crap for this. I never used it once. So all that, and I got free, so I technically got 52 free platters of tacos and I didn't use them once. And I still hate myself for it. I still have the certificate somewhere, I think. So maybe if I go back as alumni, I can like let them know and show them video evidence, but that was certainly a game. And also I was hungry after that. So I got myself a pizza. Cause I was just shoveling them in. Like I wasn't even full. So I got like a mini pizza 
that was certainly a game. The fact that you didn't use any of those vouchers just ruined all of the good. I hate myself for it. Bond that we have between us. That just, I'm not going to be able to air this episode now. I'm just going to have to try. I'm sorry. We just wasted an hour and a half of our lives. Oh, well. Wow. I think though that that story is the perfect example of why I should not be surprised that you do TikTok, that you do a podcast, that you do video stuff for Sirius XM or whatever it is, because to put yourself in front of 18,000 people and do something like that clearly demonstrates that, yes, you do have an outgoing personality and you're perfect for stuff like this. <laughs> well, thanks. Yeah, I'm definitely not afraid to, to be myself, I guess you could say, or Joey Logano or whoever I impersonate that weekend. But yeah, what's life if you don't have a little bit of fun and, you know, kind of almost throw up tacos in front of almost 20,000 people, you know, just another day in the life. Well, another day in your life. I can't say I've ever done that because my personality is <laughs> fair, fair. Yeah, I'm the complete opposite. All right. One last thing, Davey, let's wrap it up with this. We've covered a ton of ground today. Again, we're very much alike when it comes to a passion for the sport and content and everything else. What do you just most enjoy about your jobs? Obviously, plural, because as we've touched on, you do more than one. What do you most enjoy about all of this? Hmm. So you going back, I don't think I've ever been asked that question. Because it's just like a constant go, 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 do your job, do your job, do your job. Um, here, I think about this. You can edit this out because I need to think. No, I'm not editing that. This is perfect. It shows the fact that you're putting okay. thought into it. And I actually have a question. Quicker. Yeah, we're thinking about it. What do I enjoy most about my job? I enjoy, I enjoy learning about people's stories because, you know, let's use Danny Hamlin for an example. We know he's a co-owner of 2311. We know he's a multi-time cup winner. We know that he's one of the only drivers without a championship. We know his background from Chesterfield and all that stuff, but we don't know a lot of things. And if I ever got the chance to speak with somebody like him one-on-one or Kevin Harvick or Brad Keselowski, you know, I would not ask them questions that I already know the answer to. I would ask them questions that I want to know the answer to that they may not have been asked before that may be totally off the beaten path, maybe about their families, their children, their wives, what they want to do after racing what their life was like before racing, if that existed. Um, I think that's what I like most about it is just getting to getting the answers from people that you don't know. I mean, journalism in and of itself is inherently curious, right? I would say that everybody has some ounce of curiosity in them. I think if you go into this business, you need to have a little bit more than the average person, but Again, I think what I enjoy most about my job is just being able to have that curiosity and have an avenue to let it happen. You know what I mean? Because it's one thing to have all these questions and to get these answers and then for them to just kind of exist. But, you know, with your show, with a show like mine, I think the Dale Jr. Download does a great job of it. You know, these feeds and these shows, they theoretically will live on forever, right? So, if you're curious about so-and-so and you talk to them, you can go learn about them. And if I'm curious about somebody, I can go ask them this question and have all these other people hear it. 
So what I think I like most about my job, bringing it back to your wonderful ending question, that's a very pontificating-esque question. I think what I like most about it is just having the curiosity and being able to use that and figure out answers to questions that I just don't know the answer to. Because whether it's how to set up a next-gen car, <laughs> whether it's what this person wants to do when they hang up the helmet and they stop racing, there's a lot of questions in the industry from a lot of different people that are left unanswered and unasked. And I think what I like most about what I do is being able to ask them and have them answer. I like it. I like it a lot. Well, Davey, we've covered a lot today. And I think it was just because I tried, I had to drag it out because I think you had me on for about an hour or so. So I just had to return the favor today. How about that? Yeah, but I did not order a sandwich during this. So I was going to ask you about that before we, yeah, before we started, I was going to say, do you need to order a sandwich or anything? Damn. I got dinner reservations in like an hour, so I should be good. All right. Well, there you go. See, it always comes back to food somehow. I mean, yeah, obviously. What's your favorite uh, racetrack food about? Like media center food. Um, I don't. You're think more I, seasoned than me, so. Yeah, I don't think I. Well, I lied. I was gonna say I don't think I have one. And I don't know if they're still gonna do it anymore coming out of the pandemic. But Bristol, when yes, they, yes, <laughs> when, when they would get. The burrito place to cater oh, before, so good. yes, before the night race every year in the summer. So good. Oh, that's that's probably the one that comes to mind. Tremendous. I was hoping you would say that because that's also my answer. I have actually told them. I saw them earlier this year, um, and I said to them, I said. I just need you to know that I hope that this is going to come back now that we're, we're all returning to media center. <laughs> just know that if this doesn't come back, I don't either. Yeah. I would, I, yeah. I'm just not going to ask for credentials at your racetrack anymore. Just part of it, you know? All right, Davey, I'll let you go. You're going to go to dinner. I'm going to think about dinner now, but I appreciate the time. Again, I truly enjoy everything that you're doing. I appreciate you coming on my show. I appreciate you having me on your show and just the fact, again, that we can talk so much about the sport and podcast. I, I love that. So thank you. Well, thank you for having me. Like I said, I have been an early adopter, the earliest adopter that exists for your show. So being able to come on and, and talk about my story as I asked people theirs was a very different experience, but one I really enjoyed. So thank you for having me on. Thank you for the kind words right back at you. You're somebody that's helped me through my career as well. So I hopefully will see you soon. It's been too long. My thanks again to Davey for coming on the podcast and just having a conversation. It didn't feel like an interview at all. We had a lot of fun. As I said, he's a friend and a colleague. We've known each other for a few years now, and I thought he would be a blast to bring to the podcast, not only to return the favor because he had me on his podcast, Victory Lane, last year, but... Again, I feel like he's doing some great things and I really enjoy everything that he produces and he does. So thought he'd be good to bring and show and share with you guys and hopefully you will follow him. Again, you can see him on frontstretch.com. That's where his written work is. You can listen to him on SiriusXM. He hosts Loose Ends, which is on the weekends. He's also an associate producer on TMD. You'll hear him chime in the conversation there a few times. TikTok, make sure you follow him. Check out those videos during the week. All his post-race videos are hilarious. I'm glad we got to talk about that. And as I said, the risks that he is taking by mocking drivers, as well as his podcast, Victory 
Mary Lane. So thank you, Davey, for coming on the show. And I hope you all enjoyed an extended episode, splitting it into two, whether you binged it when they were both available, now that they are both available, or listened to last week's and have been looking forward to this week. I hope you enjoyed it because we're going to be doing it again next week, uh, but we will get to that in a minute. If you did enjoy the conversation, please leave a rating and review. I hope by now you've hit the follow and or subscribe button. You can leave me feedback on social media as well. Go to Twitter. My handle is at Kelly Crandall. You can also search for me and easily find me by my name. No fancy username or user handle. It is Kelly Crandall across the board. You can go to Facebook. Just make sure you find the public Facebook page where there will be links for the podcast as well as racer.com. You can also find me on Twitter, as I said, at that handle, Instagram by that handle, LinkedIn, wherever you want to send me feedback. I am sure that I am on that platform. Another way to support the podcast, support me, is through patreon.com. The link for that is in the show description of this episode, or just go to Google and fire up patreon.com forward slash Kelly Crandall. You can sign up for different tiers and have access to different content for the podcast. I've been using that word a lot today, but it's all about content here this week on the episode. Uh, Content for the podcast, if you sign up at Patreon, let's see, you can offer questions to upcoming guests. You will find out who the guests are going to be weeks in advance. You can hang out with me on Zoom. You will see my show notes and get more information about putting episodes together, what I was thinking, why I wanted to have a guest on the show, and so much more. So I hope you'll go to patreon.com forward slash Kelly Crandall and check that out. All right, so for next week, as I said, we're going to have another episode. We're going to split it into two parts because I once again was able to sit down and just let the tape roll and have a lot of fun. Courtney Enders, you might recognize the Enders name if you're a drag racing fan. Erica Enders, four-time pro stock champion. Courtney was also a driver. That is her sister. But Courtney is now doing a lot of great things. I shouldn't say now doing. She's been doing a lot of great things on her own. We're going to discuss all of that. She is now working for Flow Racing, doing some drag racing stuff. You may know Flow Racing because they have a lot of content over there. We're going to talk about coming up, being competitive with her sister, her driving career, why that didn't work out, and so much more. Courtney is an absolute gem. She is a blast. Another TikTok star, actually. Since we just wrapped up with Davey, you can also follow Courtney on TikTok, and she is just as hilarious. So that is coming next week. Part one with Courtney Enders will be here next week on the Racing Writers Podcast. (laughs) 